bringing relevant and engaging insights to human resource and talent development professionals. This is Talent Champions with Diana Thomas, sponsored by Franklin Covey. Here is your host, Diana Thomas. Hello there, and welcome to our Talent Champions podcast. I'm Diana Thomas, and I'm honored to serve as your host. Today, we're building on last episode's topic of leadership, where we discuss servant leadership and being the kind of leader others want to follow, specifically having and telling a compelling leadership story. I'm excited to have a special guest from our sponsor, Franklin Covey, Scott Miller. Scott is the EVP of Thought Leadership and host of two podcasts, On Leadership and Great Life, Great Career. Scott will be sharing his real, honest, and probably a little different type of leadership story than we typically hear, which is highlighted in his new book, Management Mess to Leadership Success, 30 Challenges to Become the Leader You Would Follow. Welcome, Scott. We're so glad you could join us. Diana, delighted to join you. I was thinking back, we met... Gosh, it has to be at least 15 plus years ago when I was the VP of Learning and Development at McDonald's and you were coming into McDonald's. I think you're right. In fact, I think it was probably 2002, so more like probably 17 years ago, and you were the incoming dean, I believe, then of Hamburg University, and we stalked you because you were moving from the East Coast to uh, Chicago area. We wanted to make sure we made a good impression on you as a longtime, you know, partner with McDonald's. And so we made sure we knew when you were moving and when your first day of the job was. And I think we sent you a charm gift of some sort appropriate to make sure that you were a champion of Franklin Covey. Come to find out you'd been a fan of Stephen Covey long before my colleague and I'd even joined the firm. Yeah, I remember that. I just remember your energy, and it was fun to, to meet you and, and been very blessed. Our paths have continued across over the years, and now I get to work with you occasionally as one of Franklin Covey's thought leaders. So, so excited to have you with us today. So I thought a few topics we could cover that would be interesting to our talent champions audience, which range from new or aspiring leaders up through the C-suite to people that run their own business. So we have a pretty wide range of individuals that are enthusiastic and excited and focused on talent. So I thought a few things that we could cover would be one, transforming from an imperfect leader to a C-suite. And I love your personal story and insight. And then, of course, get some gems of wisdom from your new book. And then because we do have some people in our audience that have written books or thinking about writing a book, because you have so much expertise, we thought maybe you could share a little bit about writing and marketing a book. How's that sound like a plan? Sounds great. Good. So before we jump into our topic, could you share a little bit about your background and how you ended up where you are today? Sure. I think my career has been uh, probably more deliberate than most. I started with the Disney company in Orlando. So I'm actually from Central Florida, born and raised there, and worked four years with the Disney Development Company. They are the real estate arm of the Walt Disney Company. I was part of the founding group that built the town of Celebration, which was really Walt Disney's kind of manifestation of what Epcot Center was supposed to be. And then uh, moved from Disney to the Franklin Covey Company back in 1996. 
which was a pretty big cultural shock, you know, from a single Catholic boy in Orlando moving to Provo, Utah in the <laughs> 90s. That was, um, you know, a wonderful and kind of harrowing cultural experience. And I'm now in my 23rd year with the Franklin Covey Company. I'm one of those rare but fortunate people that can have nine different jobs inside one company, right? It's such a blessing when you can create your career inside one organization. So I've been very fortunate to have moved up through the ranks over the course of nearly two and a half decades. I started as a frontline salesperson selling our leadership solutions to colleges, universities, and school systems. And then I became a sales leader, kind of that classic promotion from being a high-performing salesperson to becoming a leader of salespeople, which probably was not the best promotion for me. I'm kind of like one of those accidental leaders that has to move from being an individual contributor to leading people. It's a very different mindset, skill set, tool set. And I struggled a lot with that, with kind of moving the spotlight off of me onto others and recognizing that you know great leaders don't always have just charisma and loud voices. They need to be humble and abundant and good listeners, things I was not very good at, quite frankly, for decades. And then, so I moved up to the ranks and I've been on the corporate team now for 10 plus years, worked my way up to become the company's only and first chief marketing officer. And then as I, in that role, I owned the brand and reputation for the business worldwide. And then about a year ago, I stepped away from that executive position as CMO. I remained on the executive team, but now focused on thought leadership. What that basically means for us is making sure that all of our best-selling authors, keynote speakers, and our ideas are out on the radio, podcast, television, in HBR, in Fast Company, Entrepreneur, that we're blogging and writing and speaking and keynoting major conferences. And while I'm doing that, helping to build the brands and influence of about a dozen people, I, along the way, decided to write my own book because my journey has been a little bit different. I sort of, as you know, Diana, have a fairly unfiltered personality. We have a fairly kind of buttoned-down conservative culture, which I think is a great thing. And also, I'm a little bit more of a bull in the china shop. And so my path to the C-suite has been a little less conventional. I think it happened through being uh, on a journey of becoming more trusted, more deliberate, uh, a brand for delivering results, and also being able to assimilate into a culture that was, you know, not an easy path. So I'm quite proud of the journey I've taken. And now I'm getting ready this afternoon, believe it or not, to start a nine-city speaking tour to promote this new book, Management Mess, to Leadership Success, which really is a collection of all of my messes, lots of them, very vulnerable, very harrowing, in the hopes to find other leaders like me to help them avoid some of their messes and help exponentiate their successes. Yeah. I love how you just incorporate your personal story into this book, because I think that's how people like to learn is to learn through stories and understanding. And you come across, you said, unfiltered leader, I would say you are extremely honest, but compassionate. I love your energy. And your willingness to just share and help others grow. I know you've helped me grow throughout the years. So uh, maybe give us a little bit more of a summary of, you know, what's inside management mess to leadership success. Yeah, well, it's, uh, it's a very different type of leadership book intentionally. I've been in this business like you have 
for you know nearly 30 years now between Franklin Covey and Disney. And I have found, including some of our own books, although enormously valuable and inspiring, most leadership books, I think, are a little too aspirational that I wanted to write a book that was super relatable and practical for a segment of the market that I think is unaddressed. And that is the people like me that you know want to be leaders, but they're not exactly sure how, that it doesn't come natural. But you kind of find yourself sometimes saying and doing the wrong things, and you lack the wisdom of people kind of holding your hand. You lack some of the introspection on your own blind spots. People like me whose strengths, when taken too far, can actually become their weaknesses. So I set out to write a raw, relatable, and real leadership book all centered around 30 challenges that every leader faces. So Bob Whitman, who's our CEO, and Todd Davis, who's our chief people officer, and about five other wise people and I collated about 150 challenges that every leader faces in their career. And had I written a book with 150 challenges, it would have been a suicide march. So we called it down to 30, kind of one per day. And then I decided to write a raw and vulnerable story on how in almost, but not all, in almost every case, I had made a mess of it. And so I felt really inspired by this kind of vulnerable movement by Brene Brown and others to really just kind of share my story and say, you know what? I screwed this up big time. Here's what I did. And here's some insights for you to be thinking about how to avoid the same pothole. Some of them, like I said, are strengths. I'm actually fairly good at having high courage conversations. I'm fairly good at talking straight. I'm horrible at listening. I'm horrible at differentiating between urgent and important. I love a good crisis. And if one doesn't exist, I'll manufacture one, <laughs> make myself feel relevant and important. And that's, and that's fine when you work in an organization who values firefighting. But if you go work in an organization that is highly disciplined and very uh, productive around their priorities, you'll become pretty irrelevant pretty quick. So at the end of each chapter, I share a very tangible, specific challenge that you can actually move towards and to identify, is this a success or a mess for you? I love how you organized it as well. I love how, you know, there's a chap. the first um, chunk is about leading yourself, which I think is really important, getting to know who you are as a leader, then leading others, and then getting results, because you have to get results if you're going to stay the leader, you know, so I really like it. Any other um, insights in regards to maybe how someone would use this book? I wrote this book in a format that I like to read books. Short, concise, engaging, and super applicable. So someone can read this book in two and a half hours, like literally from a flight to Chicago to you know Dallas. It's an easy read. Each chapter congeals around one of these 30 challenges. Each one has a fairly outrageous, blush-worthy story. And you can start anywhere and go everywhere. You can read it in its entirety in one setting. Or then you can go back and pick up a chapter a day for 30 days. Or you can read it any way you want to, kind of start anywhere, go everywhere in the index. These 30 challenges, as you mentioned, are organized into three tranches. Lead yourself, the first eight or so. Lead others, the next dozen and a half. And then get results, the last 10 or so. And there's an end chapter, a final chapter around character. Because I think character was so valuable I chose to stand it on its own. 
I'm very excited for people to read it. I think, like I said, it's blush worthy. I'll probably never get a job ever again, which is okay. Because <laughs> Frank, Franklin Covey, I think, still likes me. And I'm kind of moving into a few more books that I'm writing. Yeah. Well, new chapter for you. That's exciting. So the other thing I would mention, because one of the things is I'm coaching executives is sometimes people will pick up books and they feel like they have to read it from cover to cover. And there might be three or four areas they're really trying to work on. And I love the way that your book is organized because it could be one of those. If I'm just working on, you know, having those conversations or handling conflict or, you know, whatever it is, I can go to those chapters and work with it. So I I think not only is it going to be a great read, and I'm really excited that I had a chance to read it already, but I think it'll be a great resource for people to use, to go back to, or for people that are listening to this um, podcast who lead others or or are in charge of talent development to be able to use for resource to give to others. So if you're challenged in this area, sometimes it's hard to find resources to help you in the areas that you need to focus. So that was one of the things as I went through, I said, wow, this is going to be a great just resource book for people and for leaders. The stories that you have and the challenges, I would think it would be very hard pressed for any leader at any level to read this and say, wow, here's what I need to work on, or wow, this resonates with me, or here's somebody that I could help coach do this a little bit better. So I think there's pieces for everybody. Well, I appreciate that. You know, I have to give credit to Franklin Covey because I just merely took 30 of these, you know, uh, I think disproportionately impactful challenges. When you get them right as a leader, you can have exponential impact. When you get them wrong, you can have exponential impact. And one of the premises in my book is that I think too often, Diana, people are lured into leadership. They're not led. Leadership of people is not for everyone. And I think in some ways, the industry, and, and our firm included, has done a bit of a misservice to people by thinking that the ultimate career goal is to be a leader of people. I, I, I emphatically reject that and don't believe that. There is no shame that there's great value in just being the best individual contributor you can be. I think too often people, when they feel like the only next step in their career is to be promoted into a leadership role, they take what were their strengths, which could well be, you know, being the best salesperson in the team or a great project manager or a great researcher or the best graphic artist. And now they find themselves lured into a leader of people and it was the wrong path for them. And now they find they're having to have you know, enormously uncomfortable conversations with people about their productivity, their, their, their timeliness, their ability to collaborate, their ability to own their mistakes. And leadership is not for everyone, I would make a, you know, a, a sounding board, if you will, a, a call to everyone for the leaders who are promoting people into leadership roles. Do everybody the service of explaining what is it really like to be a leader of people? It is difficult. It is unglamorous. It is relentless. It is rarely, if ever, rewarding in the short run. It's very rewarding in the long run. But if you want to be popular, if you want to be liked, if you want to feel a great sense of accomplishment, think very carefully about a leadership role because it is relentless 
And I think people who want to become leaders should be very clear around, is this the right path for you? No, Diana, as I share in the book, I'm not sure what is the right path for me. I think I've developed into a very competent leader along the way where I did a lot of destruction. And I use this metaphor, and perhaps it's a little harsh, but no one just wakes up and decides they're going to become a doctor and they're a doctor the next day. They go through like 15 years of medical school and no one decides they're going to wake up and become a pilot. No, you have like tens of thousands of flight hours because pilots and doctors can do great damage to people. When a pilot makes a mistake and it's fatal, everyone knows. But when leaders make mistakes with people, it's not clear. The damage is not clear on an x-ray or on a crashed plane. It's sometimes years in the work and you can do great damage, irreparable damage to people's self-esteem, their self-confidence, and their self-worth in all the messes you create, rarely intentionally, mostly subconsciously. But I think my book helps to really guide people on should you be a leader of people or not? And there's no shame if the answer is no. And if you're going to do that, let's be really clear about what your messes are because you've got a bunch of them. And the quicker you can acknowledge them and through hopefully my book and Franklin Covey's expertise, steer around them or minimize them, the more successful, the faster your success will be as a leader of people. Yeah, I, I love that is really assess yourself. Are you are you ready to be a leader? Do you want to be a leader? And then back to the organization and the leaders that are promoting these people. You know, I love Jim Collins, you know, information in books when he talks about having the right people on the bus, but more importantly, making sure that they're in the right seat, because like you said, they can do damage. And it's not done intentionally. But like you said, you just can't wake up and become a leader. So thinking about leadership, and we've got, you know, aspiring leaders and let's say they really do want to be a leader and they want to grow and move up uh, there's so many resources out there so maybe just stepping back and being even more broad on you know how do they decide what resources to use as they're just starting their leadership journey well i'm biased of course right because i'm an unabashed evangelist and fan of the franklin cubby company i think um i think there's some great resources and our competitors i think ken blanchard is just an absolute um, beacon of light in the leadership business. I think Patrick Lencioni, there's so many great resources. I think a lot of our webinars are great resources. If you've not visited franklincovey.com, I'm going to give it a plug because I'm such a fan of our principle-based approach. I think a couple of other suggestions I would make is one of the best strategies I ever employed in my own leadership career was what I call friending up. And early in my 20s, I was kind of one of those aspiring, hardworking people who kind of always got it wrong. Like I said, one step forward, two steps back. So I friended up. I was very deliberate in making sure that my coaches, my mentors were older, smarter, wiser, more successful, wealthier, better traveled, better cultured. And, and I surrounded myself with really deliberate, great people, people like Diana Thomas, People like Chuck Farnsworth, Bill Bennett, David Covey. These are all my bosses that really took me under their wing. So I think surrounding yourself with people who are wiser, more senior than you, 
will only positively impact your own maturity. I, I think secondly, Diana, I've always been a voracious reader. I don't read fiction. Like I've read two fiction books my whole life. Maybe I should read more fiction, but I'm probably in the five or 6,000 volume around biographies, leadership books, management books. It's been enormously beneficial to me. I will tell you my all-time favorite leadership book might surprise you. It's by Liz Wiseman. The book is Multipliers. Liz is a former senior leadership expert at Oracle, spent more than two decades there, was in effect kind of their you know, chief learning officer. And uh, she wrote a book out, gosh, five, six years ago that I think has changed the landscape of leadership. Her book Multipliers is based on the premise that you are either multiplying or you are diminishing people's talent. And when I read her book, it literally changed my life, changed my leadership perspective. Because she says, you are either trying to be the genius in the room, or you are the genius maker. And when I read that, I thought, oh my gosh, I've spent 20 years kind of trying to be the smartest person in the room, the most creative, the best ideas, always trying to look good. But that isn't entirely true, right? I mean, I, I, I have got some shred of humility. But I, I, I decided my job is to retain and track and grow talent, not to just manage my own career. And I think I've done a good job along the way of building the careers of others. But Liz's concept of do you as a leader make it safe for other people to share ideas and take risks? Or are you the genius in the room who is the accidental diminisher of other people. I really find Liz to be a fresh voice in the leadership space. And so as people like Liz Wiseman and Kim Scott, who wrote Radical Candor, I think it was Seth Godin, a good friend of mine, who taught me the difference between being fearless and being reckless. So I think for me, my advice to people is find the authors that you love and study their stuff, listen to their webcasts, their webinars, follow their blogs, send them an email, right? Interview them for your own blog. Take a risk. Get out there and, and really listen to these great voices, these wise people. So my advice to people is just absorb yourself in what is this wealth of phenomenal leadership insight out there by friending up and really being deliberate around the people you take into your life as your coaches. Yeah, I love that. Friending up and being deliberate. And you just demonstrated what I truly believe is one of the key success uh, to people leading people or just being the best contributor uh, that they can be is continuous learning. So you talked about how you're learning from others and you can tell that you just get excited about it and it resonates and you use the information. And and so whether it's books or podcasts or webinars seem to be very popular as well, uh, or these wonderful mentors. And, and I love that advice. Take a risk, just reach out to people. I know people have reached out to me and we're like, you know, friends and, and great networkers because they took a chance and, and reached out just to talk to me. So I'd say, yes, do that. And then shadowing others, too. I think what you talked about is, you know, you've had the chance to work with different leaders. And I know you brought this up in your book and people have mentored you, but, you know, watching others and asking people questions because people are so willing to share, just like you have in this, you know, such a real authentic leadership book is, you know, that's what I coach people is find leaders that you aspire to be like. And then ask them questions and spend time with them. I, I think, Diana, I think there's this uh, misnomer 
that influential, best-selling authors, business CEOs, that they're untouchable or they're hard to relate to. Every one of them is just like you and I. They're, they kind of started their path like you and I. They wrote a book and then they got a podcast and then they got a radio program or whatever it is. And, you know, I, I am just like everybody else. A year ago, two years ago, I was just another, you know, struggling leader rising up in an organization. I decided to pivot. And within a year, I was hosting the world's most followed leadership newsletter on leadership. I'm hosting a radio program on iHeartRadio. I'm writing a column in Inc. magazine now. I'm on your podcast. I'm writing a book. And I get a dozen emails every day from people wanting advice that I don't know. I respond to every one of them. And I have found that no matter, and I, and I have no fame, I have no influence, I have no celebrity, right? I'm just a guy just like you out there trying to add some value. I would encourage everybody, if you're a fan of someone, reach out to them, find their email address. I'll find that 99% of them are so grateful and they want to give back and they want to help other people learn. You'll find that most of those people, almost without exception, are approachable and so grateful for a chance to connect with someone that they kind of see in themselves. It's a great way to build a mentor. Yeah, so true. And and like you and I have talked about and you're living, I think we both live is just giving back. You know, people have been wonderful to us. We've been blessed and to be able to give back to others to help them grow. It's such a, a rewarding process. So hey, Diana, when I make it big, I'm still going to take your phone call. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I got a couple people I can get to that can get to you too, right? Oh, what, a, what, a, what a joke, what a joke. Right? It's so funny. Well, maybe just switching gears a little bit and talking about this was your first book. So tell us a little bit about the experience of writing this book. Yeah, so I have a bit of an inside track, right? Because I am the executive vice president at Franklin Covey responsible for our books. I work closely with a very competent team led by Annie Oswald and Zach Christensen. So I know quite a bit about the book world, right? And just a quick primer, you know, there's lots of terms, right? You know, most authors need an agent, not always, more so in the fiction world than the nonfiction world. So most people get an agent and the agent shepherds you to a publisher and the publisher then assigns you, if they like your manuscript, an editor and the editor helps you marshal your book. But the best way, in my opinion, to write at least a business book is to figure out, you know, what is it you're passionate about? How I wrote mine was I use post-it notes. And I'm a very visual learner. But I think most people are visual learners or have some component of that. So I, for several months, put post-it notes up on my wall with all the challenges, moved them around, organized them, figured out which ones were duplicate. I went out and read some of my favorite books again for the second time, decided what kind of book I wanted to write, how long, what was the tone, and then I have found, and I'm friends with, you know, literally hundreds of authors. That's kind of my world, oddly enough, accidentally. And I found that most authors have something in common. They are very disciplined about when they write. They typically write at the same time every day. I got up every day for about four or five months at 3 a.m. And I wrote from, you know, 3.30 to 5.30, two hours a day for about six months, almost without exception. I carried around a, um, a, a three-ring binder and I labeled all my chapters and I literally carried it everywhere I went, to church, on planes, in restaurants, 
whenever I had an idea or a thought, I wrote it down in that chapter. And so I took notes. I'd come home. When I had an inspiring thought the next morning, I would sit down for two hours and write about it. I had someone help me, a ghost writer. It's very common in the business. You pay them and they help you do any number of things with your architecture, find your voice, flush out your stories, tease out how long it should be. My ghost writer was a man named Platt Clark. who was very competent here in Utah. You can Google him. He's an author in his own right. And he really helped me find my voice, helped tell me what stories were repetitive or pedantic or over-disclosing or I hadn't kind of flushed it out well. So it's very, very common for writers to have a ghost writer. Um, sometimes they do most of the writing. Sometimes they do very little. Platt, for me, was really kind of my Yoda, helping me really tease out my voice, reviewing it, reviewing it, reviewing it. And then you get a manuscript together and you send it to a publisher. It just so ha happens that I got a publisher first. And then the publisher helped me refine it over several months. And then, you know, the book went to print. I've been fortunate enough to hire a publicist and an agent and a PR team to help me. So, you know, I'll do anything that anybody wants me to do to help evangelize the message. I think too often, Diana, authors think that if you write a book, they will come. It's just not true. Writing a book is probably 20% of the process. You have to go out and evangelize it unabashedly. I've been on LinkedIn and Facebook and YouTube and Twitter and Instagram almost every day for six months, blogging, writing, posting videos, talking about the insights of the book. And then you get a tipping point where your book becomes a little bit viral and people start to like it and love it and tweet about it on their own and post about it and talk about it to their friends. It is not to be underestimated, the hard work. I would say based on what you're doing and reading the book, you are well on your way to making this a, a bestseller. And like you said, and, and why I wrote the book too, to helping people. And I tell you, that's one of the most gratifying things is to hear back from people that read your book and not only liked it, but they used it and it helped them. And I think that to me, that's why I do what I do is to help others. And I know a big part of you is really uh, driven and focused on helping others grow and continue to do well. Diana, I think your book is so insightful as well. The most validating part of every post, every interview, every speech is when you get, you give permission for leaders at all levels just to be vulnerable and admit They've got messes too. I think there's a whole new atmosphere happening in corporate America where it's okay to be vulnerable and admit some of the things that you're not great at and just own up to them and say to your team, you know what, quite frankly, I'm not very good at this, but with your help, I'm really going to try to get better. I think there's a, a movement that I'm part of, a small part of, giving people permission to own your mess, acknowledge it, talk about it. Maybe even joke about it, but don't leave it there, right? Really identify what do I need to learn differently, do differently, and say differently to turn that mess into success. And counterintuitively, if taken too far, can your successes become messes? Because we know that any strength turned up too high, driven too hard, can become a mess. And I think I'm part of that voice of giving people permission to own their messes and create more success. 
Nicely said. So let me talk about, you know, who helped you become the leader that you are today. Is there one person that comes to mind that had the greatest impact on your personal, professional life and that you wouldn't be where you are today without their influence? Oh my gosh, where do I start? There's so many people. Bill Bennett, who promoted me when he was the president of the Franklin Covey Company and moved me to Chicago, gave me a huge break in my life. And he also was the one leader who really called me out. Bill Bennett was once sitting in my office, and I tell this story in the book, sitting in my office in Chicago, and he says to me, I'm not kidding you, Diana, Scott, you're standing at a gas station and you're holding a match. And he said that to me because he was very frustrated that I was gossiping and not holding confidences. And, you know, I wasn't breaking the law. I wasn't sharing anything that was illegal or SEC information. I just was being petty and kind of gossipy. And he had the courage to say, Scott, you're standing at a gas station. You're holding a match. If you don't stop this behavior, there are going to be consequences. Like, you'll be fired. And it was to Bill Bennett that I owe this enormous gratitude for exercising the courage to call me out and talking straight and really modeling to me and for me, this behavior of being loyal to those who are absent. So, and there's countless others. I could go on and on and on. Men as women, as equal as women. So I am the product of people believing in me. So as we um, wrap up, what final piece of advice do you have for our talent champions? You know, I think the one thing I've learned in my life as a leader is that Stephen Covey popularized this idea, Diana, of the difference between being effective and being efficient. And I think I spent the first 45 years of my life, I'm 51 almost, being efficient, checking things off, getting things done, being super productive. And I have focused that the next half of my life is going to be focused on effectiveness. And with people, to quote Dr. Covey, slow is fast and fast is slow. And for too many years, I treated my relationships, professionally and personally, like to-do lists. Get it done, check it off, move on to the next person. Not because I undervalued people, but because I kind of have an efficiency mindset. And that has served me very well. I can and will outwork anyone. But I think the, the times have changed and the moniker of being busy are over. No one wants to be busy anymore. Everyone wants to work smarter and not harder. And the essence of being an influential, impactful leader is effectiveness, is developing effective relationships with people. Because leaders create culture. Leaders are the linchpin of the culture in your organization. And you create culture in every conversation, every text, every email, every engagement. And so for me, I'm really trying to take to heart Stephen Covey's advice of knowing when to be efficient with things, with meetings, with processes, with projects, with systems, and when to be effective with people, with your children, with your wife, your husband, your partner, your boss, the new hire, the person your team who's struggling, the person in the other division who 
doesn't know if they're going to succeed or not, and they just need someone like you, a little wiser, a little smarter, a few more messes under your belt, to walk up to them and say, you know what, I've been watching you. Tell me your name. How can I help you? I mean, you can't can't overestimate the power of slowing down and having an effective mindset. It's something I struggle with. It's a huge mess for me, but it's my best advice for everyone. Yeah. Great advice, you know, because I think especially our younger listeners that are so focused on getting ahead and being, you know, efficient and using their time the right way is you can't overlook that um, need to be effective and to really relate to people and build those relationships. And as a leader, you are always on. So what you were doing, like you talked about, is building the culture and you want it to be the best, healthiest, nurturing, engaging culture that focuses on and creates the best results. So wonderful advice to leave all of our listeners with. Um, thank you so much. And the last thing I would ask if you could share is how could our listeners get in touch with you or learn more? Sure. So obviously, franklincovey.com is a great resource. You can follow the podcast that I host there on leadership. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can visit managementmess.com. That's the website for the book, managementmess.com. And the book is Management Mess to Leadership Success. It'll be in bookstores for purchase on June 18th. I'd be honored if everybody would pick up a copy and pre-order before June 21st, because every book that is purchased counts towards the bestseller list that closes out on June 21st. Diana, thank you. I love your podcast. Great. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Diana. Please join us for the next episode of Talent Champions, where Anna Tavis, Professor of Human Capital Management and Academic Director of HCM Programs at NYU, will be joining me. We will be talking about the end of talent management as we know it, to include where she sees talent management going in the future, and what's changing, and why. So go to our website, talent-champions.com. In addition to reaching out to us with some of the topics you'd like to hear, click on subscribe to be notified when the next episode is released. And you can also receive special bonus content from my guest. That's talent-champions.com. Click on subscribe to receive email updates from Talent Champions. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to Talent Champions with Diana Thomas. For more information about today's show or to receive more valuable insights, please visit franklincovey.com slash talent champions. If you enjoyed the podcast, please leave a review wherever you get your podcasts.